It's good to see you this morning. We're uh, starting a new sermon series this morning, um, and uh, we'll be getting to our text in just a moment. Um, so we get started this morning. I know uh, Pastor Marvin, as you mentioned, Midweek Ministries, something for everyone. Some of you are wondering about our student ministries. Uh, if you hang on a little bit longer, I think in the next couple weeks we'll have some more information for you, but um, we're not quite as ready to go with them right at the beginning of the fall as we are our other ministries, but um, we we'll should have some information on that within the last couple week, next couple weeks for our middle schoolers and high schoolers. If you do have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Job 28. We'll be there in a few minutes. Before we do, I want to talk to you, start as we talk about this series this morning. And I'm not going to try not to pull out one of these roses because they have thorns, I found out this morning. Um, we uh, cut flowers. Cut flowers are uh, beautiful. Uh, they can be nice to look at. Uh, they can be nice to enjoy, to brighten up a room. Uh, but the thing about cut flowers is they don't let... You guys can go. I'm t- am I, oh, you're, you're all set. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> like, thank you for being willing to stay, though. I appreciate that. But that will get long. Um, cut flowers are beautiful to look at, but they are... Um, one of the things about them is they don't last And the reason they don't last is because they've been severed from their roots. And so they last for a little while, and they're pretty to look at, but they don't last a long time. And the truth is, there are other things in our world that are like cut flowers. You try and keep the beauty of something, but you actually sever it from its root and what made it beautiful in the first place. I'd like us, as we start this new series, to consider a quote by a Christian thinker named Oz Guinness. And Oz Guinness said this. He said, the West is seeking to do the near impossible, to cross the river while changing horses in midstream and still maintain its greatness. But the inescapable effect is that what greatness remains in the West today is that of a cut flower civilization. The West has lost its soul. Now that's kind of a heady quote to start off with at a nine o'clock service on a Sunday morning. But I think hopefully you can kind of get what he's saying there. The idea that a lot of the things we enjoy in in the cultural West, a lot of the advances we enjoy, Oz Guinness says, are kind of a cut flower thing. We are enjoying the results of a culture and a society that was built on a moral foundation that we're currently abandoning, that we're not hanging on to. We're trying to hang on to the beauty while severing the roots. We're currently abandoning our roots. And over the next four weeks, we're going to ask, what are we, if what we're doing as a world and a culture, is it moving us forward? Is it making us better as a people? Is it making us greater in our world? I think the truth is that we, like most cultures and civilizations, have a bias towards what's new and current. We have a bias towards what's the latest and the greatest. Uh, That what's new must be better. You see it all over the place uh, when uh, when the new iPhone comes out, whenever that launches. There will be some people who will be disappointed because it's not enough better than the last one. 
Because we expect that if something's newer, it's going to be better. If something's latest, it's going to be the greatest. We have this expectation. We have it of our phones, our devices, but we also have it, and I think it sneaks into our thinking of our ideas, that if it's newer, it must be better. Maybe you know people who think this way. J.I. Packer, another Christian theologian, he put it this way. He says that what we believe is newer is truer, only what is recent is decent. Every shift of ground is a step forward, and every latest word must be hailed as the last word on the subject. What's newer is truer, what's recent is decent, and the latest word is the last word on a subject. Do you know people who think like this? Or maybe if you're honest with yourself, maybe you'd say, I kind of fall into this thinking once in a while. That the newest thoughts and the latest thoughts are actually the truest thoughts. But sometimes we don't stop and think about it much. We don't stop and examine our assumptions that maybe we fall into what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Chron- are you a chronological snob? C.S. Lewis discovered, before he was a Christian, when someone was talking to him about Christianity, and C.S. Lewis is a writer and thinker of the 20th century. You might know him from the Narnia Chronicles. is probably the most famous. But before he became a Christian, someone was trying to talk to him about becoming a Christian, and he said, and this person con- uh, con- uh, convinced C.S. Lewis that he was a chronological snob. And the idea was, and this is what Lewis says in his own words, He says, he made short work of what I've called my chronological snobbery. The uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumptions that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. But you must find why it went out of date. Was it ever refuted? And if so, by whom, where, and how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? chronological snobbery, that sometimes we fall into this thinking that, well, if it's the latest, it must be the greatest. If it's the newest, it must be the truest. But often we fall into, this is just the thinking of our age, and we think, well, it must be better than the ages before us. It's like the story I heard about the old, older woman who was checking out at the grocery store. And she's checking out at the grocery store, and the young cashier suggested to her very strongly that she should be bringing her own grocery bags because plastic bags were not good for the environment. And the old woman uh, apologized to her and explained, we didn't have this green thing back in my earlier days. And the younger woman saw her window of opportunity and the clerk, the young clerk responded, that's our problem today. Your generation didn't care enough to take care of the environment for future generations. To what one commentator uh, on this story said, the young woman was right, or the old woman was right. Back then we didn't have this green thing. But back then we returned milk bottles and soda bottles to the store. So the store sent them back to the plant and washed them and sterilized them and refilled them so they could use the same bottles. But back then, we walked to the grocery store and didn't climb into a 300-horsepower machine every time we had to go two blocks. Back then, we washed babies' diapers because we didn't have the throwaway kind. Back then, we dried clothes on a line, not an energy-gobbling machine burning up 220 volts every time it runs. 
Back then, we, didn't pa- we packaged fragile items in old newspaper, not in styrofoam and plastic bubble wrap. Back then, we didn't fire up the engine and burn gasoline just to cut the lawn. We exercised by working so we didn't need to go to health clubs and run on electronic, electricity-based uh, treadmills. We drank from a fountain instead of plastic bottles. We refilled writing pens. We replaced the razor blade and didn't throw away the whole razor. And we didn't need a computerized gadget to receive a signal beamed from satellites 23,000 miles out in space in order to find the nearest burger joints. <laughs> but we think newest is truest and the most recent is the most decent, that what we know now is must be superior over what went on before. Chronological snobbery. Some of us fall into that type of thinking. So as we go through the next few weeks and as the kids go back to school, I want us to get a little bit in the thinking mode. We're going to do some thinking over the next four weeks and we're going to think about some of the assumptions, four particularly, that I think are held often by our current culture and society. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll find they may creep into the thinking of people in the church who also call Jesus Lord and worship God, and yet the thinking of our current age often comes in to our thinking as well. And so in order to get at this morning's assumption, I want to ask you a question. In order to get at this morning's assumption we're going to look at, each week we're going to look at a different assumption these next four weeks, and the question is this, do we live in a Bob the Builder world or a Humpty Dumpty world? Is our world more Bob the Builder or Humpty Dumpty? If you're not familiar with Bob the Builder, Bob the Builder is a show my kids used to watch. I'm not sure if it's still on TV. Maybe it is. I'm sure it lives on in DVD form. But as as Bob the Builder was, was going about, he's kind of a general contractor, and he had all these trucks and things that would help him, which of course could talk to him and everything. And, and part of the theme song and part of Bob's, you know, overall uh, mentality was he would ask this question, and his question was, can we fix it? And the response was, yes, we can. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. I mean, the response was never, well, I don't think so. This one's, you know, we're going to sit this one out. You know, I, in fact, I think there was one truck on there. He was always a little skeptical. I think it was the crane. He was always a little skeptical. He was like, oh, maybe we can. But everyone else was like, yes, we can. Bob the Builder. I think one of the assumptions of the age we live in is a Bob the Builder age. Someone asks, can we fix it? And a scientist, an inventor, a venture capitalist eventually responds and says, yes, we can. That given enough time, given enough money, given enough resources, there's not any question we can't answer and not any problem we can't solve. This type of thinking shows up in Apple CEO uh, Tim Cook quote from a speech he gave a couple of years ago at the Robert F. Kennedy School receiving an award. And he said, we reject pessimism and cynicism. We see no contradiction between a hard-headed realism and an unshakable idealism that says anything is possible if we just get to work. That is a really motivating quote. If you've got a graduation speech, that sounds like something you're going to send people off. But underlying it is a Bob the Builder mentality, right? Can we fix it? Yes, we can. 
given enough time, money, and resources, there isn't anything that we can't eventually figure out. But there's another children's story or another children's character that we all know, Humpty Dumpty. Remember how it goes? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's men and all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Two children's characters, two very different worldviews that are communicated. I don't know why Humpty Dumpty was up on the wall. I don't know what Humpty Dumpty was doing up there. I don't know how he fell off the wall. I don't know if he was pushed or just careless. But here's the point. Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall in the greatest resources that are available. The king's men and the king's horses can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So can we fix it? No, we can't, says Humpty Dumpty. So which is it? Do we live in a Bob the Builder world or a Humpty Dumpty world? And my answer is yes. Yes. And let's talk about that. Let me talk about this Bob the Builder assumption. We believe that given enough time, money, and effort, scientific and technological innovation will solve the problems we face and answer the questions we have. If you don't believe that, I am willing to bet that most of the people you live around and work around believe that. That we may not have figured it out yet, but we will. We'll get there. We'll figure it out. So this morning, we're going to ask if this assumption is true. Are we able to fix anything? And in order to address that, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's quite old, but speaks directly to this very modern and current question. Sandra Libby is coming to read the passage this morning. It's kind of a lengthy passage. That's why I asked someone else to read it. Um, Got a couple hard words in it too. Uh, so Sandra's coming to read that. But if you have your Bibles, open to Job 28. And Sandra is going to read the entire passage for us. Job chapter 28. A reading from Job 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore and gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it, it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. 
and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning, of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The word of God. Amen. Thank you. Job, this incredible passage of wisdom as Job considers the knowledge of men and in this beginning of this passage, Job is really saying that the pursuit of knowledge, he's not deriding it in any way. He's not putting it down in any way. In fact, just the opposite. He's standing amazed at the achievements of men and women, of what they're able to accomplish. So yes, science and technology are important and solve many of our problems. In many ways, society's moving forward What's new is sometimes better. Job starts out this passage, and he's talking about the technology of his day, so 3,000, 3 to 4,000 years ago, maybe even a little longer. The technology of Job's day was mining, and that's what he's talking about, the first, the first 11 verses of this chapter of what he's talking about. In fact, the small portion of it says, iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness, searches out the farthest limits Limit the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in the valley from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. What that means is you got these guys. They're underneath the earth. No one sees them. They're hanging from ropes. So in Job's days, mining, a lot of it, what the technology was, is you're lowering yourself down with a rope. You're chipping away at earth and you're trying, and you're looking and finding these precious metals, and, and this was an incredible, like, technology, and he's in awe of it, that this could even be possible, that crops would be growing on the top, that animals could be grazing, and that underneath it all, you've got people pulling out these precious uh, metals and stones from the earth, and he's in awe, he's saying it's incredible, this technology, and there are great things. He's, he's amazed at the knowledge of people. And it's true in our day, too. As humans, we can do some pretty amazing things. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought a I mean, uh, hundred years ago that you could use a watch to steal signals in a baseball game? Who would have thought this technology would exist? Things we don't even think about. I mean, just think about the, the, what you've watched the last couple weeks on the path of these hurricanes. I mean, there was a time when you just experienced weather. 
you didn't predict it. I mean, you tried to read the stars and the skies and red sky at night and red sky in the morning and all of that, but you didn't know here's the cone of predict, you know, the, the cone of prediction, the path of, of destruction. You know, you had no idea, you know, that, you know, here's the European model, here's the American model. I mean, think about the incredible technology that we have today. There's some amazing things. I have no idea how I did an airport pickup before cell phones. I don't even know how that was even possible. We just take it for granted, the technology that we have these days. And it is great, and it is a blessing. And we can look at, like Job, and say it's amazing. And some of the medical advances. Things that just 20 years ago were experimental, are routine, are outpatient. You go in and get it taken care of and go home. I was just meeting with someone this week who was a part of Mount Hope and had knee replacement uh, surgery. And I remember when, you know, that was, you know, there, there were times when, you know, that was a major big ordeal. And it's still a big ordeal. But she's like, yeah, I'm out in a couple days, therapy, I'll be up walking. And it's like, you know, those things, the technology, the, the education, the knowledge we have is amazing. But then Job asks another question. And he asks a very important question. And in a little later in the passage, he asks, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it's not found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not in me. In one sense, in the first part of this chapter, Job, if he were living in our day, maybe he would say, yes, it's a Bob the Builder world. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. There's amazing knowledge. There's amazing ability. But then he raises another question that Bob the Builder never raises. Where shall we find wisdom? Common sense tells us our society is not always moving forward, and science and technology don't bring ultimate solutions. Job is recognizing there are problems that science, technology, money are not going to fix, and they're not going to answer. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Job's recognized this. In the beginning of the past, he's talking all about the knowledge of humanity. But there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, Paulette Toes on our staff gave me this example, and it took me a while to think about it, uh, but I'm like, no, that is a good, that's a good example. She said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in the fruit salad. And I thought, that's true. And there's a difference. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And a lot of times, knowledge exists, but wisdom we don't have. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in the fruit salad. Technology can give us ability, amazing abilities. Within the last several years, science and technology has uh, awakened or um, discovered this ability to even manipulate the human genome. And some of you have read about that, to, to alter DNA in, in certain stages. And so this amazing knowledge has been gained, but wisdom asks, should we? And science and technology is silent. Because the ultimate questions it cannot answer. Yes, it can say, figure out how to do it, but it can never answer the question of should we do it. The pursuit of knowledge can answer temporary questions, but not ultimate 
questions. We can make discoveries that prolong life, but death still overtakes. We can cure a disease, but not death. Temporary questions and problems, but not the ultimate ones. So yes, there's the Bob the Builder aspect to our world, but there's also the Humpty Dumpty aspect. There are some questions we can't answer, some problems we can't solve. Doesn't matter how much science, technology, or money you throw at it. Questions of where did we come from, where are we going, and what does it all mean in between are ultimate questions. And the most, the greatest scientists often come up empty with questions to those ones. So it's Bob the Builder and it's Humpty Dumpty. But what about this aspect that Job points to? The question he asks is where can wisdom be found? And he mentions all these poetic things, the sea and the deep, says it's not there, it's not there. But then he says where wisdom is found. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Job points to God, and he says, you have to look outside of this world. You need an answer from outside of the things that we observe and experience and gain knowledge about if you're going to have an understanding of what the meaning is of life on this earth. You need someone from the outside to speak meaning into it. And so he says the place where you find wisdom is from God. Philosophies come and go, but God's word remains forever. Wise people live for what's eternal. Wisdom brings eternal solutions from the God who made it all. When it comes to answers to ultimate, the only one who has those is the one who made it. C.S. Lewis said, uh, put it this way, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because I see by it everything else, or because by it I see everything else. And this idea that even though we can come up with some great knowledge, we really need God from outside to speak into our situation and tell us what it all means. We can get caught up thinking the world is all about us. In fact, let me use this illustration to show what I mean. Let me show you a painting. Uh, this painting is called Las Meninas by Diego Velasquez. It's a pretty famous painting, I'm told, uh, painted in 1656. Uh, one of the reasons it was so famous in its day because it was an unusual approach he took uh, by one inserting himself as the painter into his commissioned artwork. You know, artwork uh, in that day and age, that's how you, it came about. It was commissioned. Somebody paid you to do it. And so he's paid to make this piece of art, and yet he inserts himself into it. One uh, critic called it the first photobomb of history. But here's what's interesting about this painting by Diego Velasquez. When you look at it, it looks like many of the characters, many of the people in it are looking right at you, right? The little, these maids of honor, the little princess in the middle, the artist himself, a couple of the other people look like they're looking. So you, so you see it and you approach it and you think uh, that they are looking right at you. 
But as one person has pointed out, when you look a little closer, it's a little different, something else is going on. Because in the very back, just over the left uh, or right shoulder of the little girl, you see in the back what's a mirror. And in that mirror, you can't make it out maybe from this distance, but if we zoom in a little bit, that's what you see in the mirror. And you may not know who those people are, uh, but they're the king and queen of Spain. And so what's really going on in this painting, if we back out again, is you are not, these people aren't looking at you. In fact, you're really irrelevant to the situation. What's happened is the king and queen have just walked into the room. And so the attention of all in the portrait is on the king and the queen, and you are getting the perspective of what it is, of what a king sees. And so... As I thought about that, I thought that's sometimes how our world is when we come and think about this assumption, isn't it? That we look at our world and the more we know, we start to think it's all about us. And we think, well, this is, this is all about us. It's all for us. There's nothing else uh, really around. There's no one more important. It's all about us. We can figure it out. But if we will look a little closer and if we will take a little more time that maybe what we'll find is that it's really about the king. That if we will look a little closer, we'll realize it's not really about us. That there has to be more than us. And it's really about the king. Quote by uh, Pastor Brian was telling me that he was talking, uh, he had recently had the opportunity to talk to a uh, man who turned out to be a CEO of a biotech company in Cambridge who was also a Christian. And uh, he said... Uh, this CEO said this, I work with many people who are smart enough to understand the universe is far too complex to have happened on its own, yet they are stubborn enough never to admit it. I work with a lot of people who are smart enough to understand the universe is too complicated to come about on its own. You look close enough and you realize there is more to it than just us. There's more to it than just, it couldn't have just come about, and yet they are too stubborn to admit that there has to be someone else. There has to be something else other than us. So here's the thing as we wind this up this morning. Here's the challenge for us. Maybe the place you thought would promise all the answers is really not able to give you the answers that you're looking for. Maybe the place that you thought was going to answer all your questions and solve all your problems isn't really going to be able to provide what it promised. Maybe when you climb that ladder to the top, you find out it's been leaning against the wrong building. That I thought this was going to be where the answers were found, that I thought they were going to figure it out, that the promises were there. But the truth is that these ultimate questions are not going to be solved in a laboratory or a classroom, but have been given to us by the wisdom of God. And what is that wisdom? Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
I'm going to ask our music team to come back and join me on the stage as we close out. And here's the bottom line in this passage. Paul, writing a few thousand years after Job, says that the true wisdom of God that's wiser than men is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And many will come to that cross and consider it and say, no, that's yesterday's ideas. That's something they believed in the past. Yeah, that's something before they knew any better. That's what people thought and believed. For many, the amazing realities of human progress and the pursuit of knowledge provide a convenient distraction from the reality that all of this is temporary and that there's problems we're not going to be able to solve just in our own knowledge. The Bible says that uh, it's the fool that says that there is no God. That's strong words. But what it's basically saying, what God is saying, is that if you look around, you know that there's something, someone, that all of this created, that it's not all about us. And if it's not all about us, then our knowledge and our technology and our science is amazing and it's wonderful and we should enjoy that. But we should also recognize its limits, that it will never provide the ultimate answers. And that ultimate answer has been given to us by the creator of the universe, the God who loves us, the God who watches over us, and the God who has provided for us not only eternal life has solved the problem of death, but also forgiveness and grace that is extended to us through the foolishness of something as simple as putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the God who was crucified on a cross, died and rose again. And there are those who would say, that's an old idea. And newer is truer. And more recent is decent. And the, late, and the latest word is the last word. But like C.S. Lewis, we must go back and ask, is it true? Was it ever disproved? Was it ever, or did it just grow out of fashion? Or is it just something people don't want to submit to? cross of Jesus Christ is God extending to us his love and the offer of salvation for us. Would you pray with me as we close our service? As we consider this this morning and your eyes are closed and your heart, I pray, is open to what God would have to say to you. But I'd ask us to consider this morning is are there places in our world where we have put more trust and more hope in the thoughts and knowledge and wisdom of this world than in the wisdom that God has provided for us? Have we and do we at times allow this thinking to seep into our minds and hearts that these latest and greatest thoughts supersede that which God has revealed to us in himself. Lord, would you search our hearts today? Father, would you, in the midst of the world that we live in, help us to live for you, trusting you, 
and loving you. And Lord, that we would not only, Lord, gain knowledge, but Lord, that we would grow in wisdom and that we would grow in understanding because that is from you. Lord, would we never seek in the temporary answers to the ultimate questions. May we find those answers in you and may we be a people that will lead others to those answers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one song as we close. And um, song is Christ is Enough. Because there are many times we're looking for other things to fill gaps. But the uh, bottom line, the truth and the reality is that Christ, God has given us all we need in Christ. And the wisdom of God is greater than all of the wisdom of men.